once again from Charleston, South Carolina. We are back with another episode of Core Consult RX Podcast. And I'm joined with the exact same crew we had last time. Yep. What's going on, fellas? How you doing? Good. We were, we've had literally talks for about an hour now about reaching forward to the mic. Yep. First question. First, first question first failed. Okay. <laughs> about three feet away from the mic. <laughs> I guess there won't be a third visit. Our uh, our training is subpar. I think it that's is what it is. very subpar. I didn't want to bang heads with Ethan. Uh, I, I hear you. Yeah, that's what happened. You can't ask both of them a question at the same time. Yeah. It's actually our fault for having it cheap when we only have the one microphone for you guys to share. I actually feel pretty guilty about that. <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? We need to get you another one. Well, we're ha- happy to have you guys back. Um, they've been uh, crushing it on my rotation. I've had them doing 15,000 different things every day. So uh, I'm really pumped when I said they could either have the afternoon off or come hang out with me. Uh, and, and it wasn't even a test this time. Yeah. <laughs> and they came back to do the podcast. So welcome back, fellas. So today we are all four going to walk you through smoking cessation. Yes. Probably one of the more important topics yes. that... that- we have talked about or can talk about yeah. smoking cessation. Absolutely. As far as saving lives. That's yep. what we do here. We save lives. Every day. <laughs> right, not every day. Most but, days. Yeah, basically. Just the good ones. But um, yeah, so we're going to kind of walk through some of the background, uh, walk through why smoking is an issue in the first place, and um, you know, we'll just kind of see where it goes, talk about some of the pharmacotherapy. Yep. You guys jump in anytime you want. Some of the behavioral therapy. Yeah. it's both sides. We'll talk Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. So kind of see where it goes. Anything else we need to cover before we kind of jump into it? I don't know. I kind of want to do a little PSA about the Valsartan recall. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Especially since you were trying to give it I out. I know. I had it on the shelf, and I had a guy come, and it was the first day of the recall. He asked me if I had this on the shelf. I was like, yep. And he said I was giving out cancer. So that was a good start to the day. Yeah. <laughs> he went and checked my email. Sure enough, there's a recall. There's a recall. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Hadn't gotten to that part of the day yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's hard. I mean, he, I don't, was he just good Samaritan, like walking around, making sure we? Well, no, I think that his wife might have been on the medication, uh, and so he was as they were they were trying to get Diavan brand. Gotcha. Uh, and we didn't have that, and so I think he was going around checking on that was his primary goal. Secondary goal was to call out pharmacists for giving people cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, next time you'll learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's an important thing too, because somebody asked if Diavan brand was recalled as well. Yeah, uh, and it is just the generic, right? It's mm-hmm. just the generic Valsartan. Not even all generics. I guess it's yeah. just the Solco. Yeah, uh, I think there might be a couple, couple more, maybe. Okay, maybe. Um, Tevas included. Okay, in are they? Okay. But but it's not all of them though, because there is I, there is a couple that I don't think were affected. So I, I didn't even look too far into it. Do you know what class recall it is? Like, are are think, people calling patients and saying, "Hey, you need to return this," or is it just we're taking it off the shelf and not dispensing it? I, I it was a voluntary okay recall so, so not I, a class three. it wasn't like a class three. and i think that uh because it's gone out in the news and stuff because i've had people calling but they gave us like a phone number to reach um the, you know, the generic manufacturer and they they're handling it i guess their people I, are. I think it's a thing that is fairly i mean it's fairly common things like this happen there was a there was a fluticasone recall a couple months ago because apparently there's glass in it so that's kind of significant but it yeah. didn't get all on the news I think this one just kind of got, got taken got by out. the media. Yeah. And so that's why it's, it's a big deal. Story for them to talk about for two months. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the fluticasone glass thing was pretty weird too. Oh, strange. Yeah. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't either. That's, that's bizarre. That's, and that's not where you want the glass either. The nose of all the stuff you could get. It couldn't yeah. be like. It's basically the eyes, the only worst place. The, yeah. Than the, the, the nares. Than the nares. <laughs> As we say it. <laughs> As we say it down in Charleston. Oh, man. Yeah. Freaking crazy recalls. Yeah. But, um, yeah, hopefully they'll get that cleared up because I I think the biggest thing is going to be getting people their meds now, especially if we can't get in touch with their physician or um, get a switch. Yeah, that's going to be a mess for a couple weeks. Yeah. So that'll be fun. But it's it's on the topic of giving people cancer. What else gives people cancer? Um, Cigarettes. (laughs) Cigarettes. Correct. And, you know, it's crazy to me that they really didn't even know this, say, 75 years ago, 100 years ago. They just had, there was no baseline for, oh yeah, smoking could actually be bad for you. You think they would have kind of figured it out, but wasn't even until like the mid fifties that the trials really started coming out saying, oh yeah, this, uh, this is associated with lung cancer. One of my favorite things from like history of pharmacy are like the asthma cigarettes. I don't know if you've ever seen them No. in a pack. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cigarettes. I'm not sure what was in them. But it's like asthma door. So it's asthma cigarettes. So it's like having an asthma attack. Here's yeah. a, here's a puff. puff. Let me give yeah. you a light. No way. Hmm. That's crazy. Does that work? <laughs> I just, 
<laughs> Can we recommend that to our patients? Oh, Did geez. anything in the 20s and 30s? Right. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. So 60 years ago was when they, it really was, I think it started in Europe. Uh, one of the big studies was um, a lot of, a bunch of doctors who, because they didn't really start monitoring patients yet, they just monitored doctors and their smoking habits. And turns out the guys that smoked a bunch had cancer and other comorbidities that caused them to die. So mm. they put it out there and still people smoke like chimneys. Well, and the, the thing is, is at least back then they didn't know. So that's right. really crappy. Like, you, know, right. you, you smoked your whole life. Cause there was kids that smoked back in the day. Right. So you live your whole life and then you get to the end and you're like, oh shoot, yep. it was really bad. And then the research comes out. Now that people are doing it, it's like, come on, man, we have enough research. It's right, bad. it's bad for you. This is bad for you. We, we've we've established it. So at least people, I mean, people do know. So yeah. I mean, if they're smoking, they know it's bad for you. And we'll get into the behavioral side and you know how much you should bring it up to a patient who's not interested in smoking. Mm-hmm. But um, really bring it up if if they're in there, at least comment on it. Even if they're dead set on not smoking, there's studies that show even if they don't want to if you bring it up then the patients feel like they're being provided with better care overall than if you don't bring it up at all so ask them ask them yeah it's one of the the a's we'll talk about yeah but as far as what it can do to you so we talked about lung cancer also increases your risk for cardiovascular death uh, more than four hundred eighty thousand deaths each year are associated with smoking which is nearly one in five people so like 20 percent of deaths are just from smoking um, each year it's more than hiv illegal drug use alcohol use motor vehicle accidents and firearm related incidents combined really all combined smoking beats them this is per the cdc they really paint a pretty bleak picture when it comes to smoking yeah geez um 10 times as many u.s citizens have died prematurely from cigarette smoking than in all wars fought in the united states ever did you say 10 percent? 10 times 10 times 10 times wow as many that's crazy yeah that's pretty nuts that's on the c that's the cdc statistics this is the cdc yeah that is crazy yeah eight out of ten deaths from cbd are associated with smoking and 90 percent of lung cancer deaths are associated with smoking boom boom there so, is your statistics I mean, for the day. You know, I'll know that scaring patients into quitting is really going to work, but no, um, I I would actually argue that it probably doesn't do much of anything because right. they know they already know. It's not like they're right. like we were saying. It's not like they don't know. So I think it's good for clinicians, especially, to be aware of to say, okay, this is really probably the most important. I mean, is I can I can do a colonoscopy and screen for colon cancer, and we can get your A1C under control. But this is going to have the most significant impact on prolonging your life and quality of life of anything else. Right. And I think it's good, too, because there's you can show, like, for instance, the ASCBD risk calculator. Yeah. That includes smoking. Right. You can show them what their chances of having an event, uh, a cardiovascular event, whether it's you know, MI or stroke or right. even death. Um compared to if they were to stop smoking and take that out of the equation, they can watch the percentage drop drastically. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things like that to kind of show them, but they have to, ultimately it's got to be the person's decision and they have to be willing to make the steps because it's, it's, and I've never personally done it. And that's the problem. Yeah. Like I have a hard time telling someone, oh, just go ahead and quit because it's, it's clearly a difficult thing to do. Right. So you got to be super careful with how you bring that up if you've especially if you've never done that right now my fiance was on rotation with another nurse practitioner student who was maybe in her 30s and she was counseling on cessation to a patient and was like yeah i smoked my teens and it wasn't easy to quit but she had something she could relate to them with Mm -hmm. so i guess it's a good and bad thing yeah no i mean if if it's if you learn from mistakes definitely use them to benefit others for sure yep so I guess the, the, you know, why smoke? Why do people smoke? And, and I think that's the thing that we see for, if, for non-smokers, we see, you know, the, the smell or the, you know, oh, why would you want to, you know, do have tar, you know, coming in your life? We, we paint a very bad picture in our own heads because it's not something that we do. Um, however, there is a component of it that, um, you know, gives you this stimulant effect. It, it gives you this, um, it stimulates the, the reward center of the brain and the limbic system. And, you know, it provides this, this like, you know, I guess, you know, dopamine release yeah, dopamine and, and this, you just feel good. So it's not something that's just, um, you can just brush it off like, oh, this guy just must make bad decisions. Um, there is a reason, especially for, you know, you know, if you have someone that's already going through depression or, you know, something like that, some kind of a psychological issue, um, it makes sense that they can get an outlet 
um, how yeah. much better it can potentially make them feel. Yeah. Or um, people who struggle with weight gain. Absolutely. A lot of times that's that's their you know self-medicated weight loss, I suppose. Have you all had much experience with um, cessation? No, I mean, not in not in the community at all, just as far as what we've done in school, so... Hands yeah. on, hands on. No, so. you'll run into it. It'll, it'll definitely come out, come up throughout the fourth year. And um, you know, if you're on rotation with a doctor, they might call you in and say, "Hey, talk to them about smoking cessation." Happened to me a bunch. Um, and yeah, the ACVD risk score is a good little trick. But ultimately, we'll go through the five A's, and that's that. You know, the, it's not like there aren't good resources out there, and it's not like smoking cessation isn't emphasized in the healthcare community. It is. Uh, it's just a really tough thing to quit. Yeah. And, you know, that feeling of pleasure that I was talking about, that is, it's a temporary thing. Yeah. So they become, you know, sort of, they have this neuroadaption where they, they become tolerant of the medication, you know, it's basically a medication. Mm-hmm. You know, tolerant of the nicotine, they, they don't get that same uh, feel-good response, if you will. And so it, it makes them either up their own dose, start smoking more to try to get that feeling back. Um, and the whole time, it's basically just going to increase their their withdrawal symptoms that they do to decide to come off of it and make that harder and harder. And so it's just a, a vicious, um, you know, cycle, a path to go down. Right. And, um, generally I think if you were to ask healthcare professional, how much nicotine is in one cigarette, usual consensus is about one milligram mm-hmm. of nicotine. So it, interestingly, it varies by brand. So right. it's, it can be upwards of 1.8 milligrams of nicotine per cigarette and as low as like 0.2 milligrams. So if you're really getting down and dirty of um, trying to figure out how much nicotine are they really taking in, you could ask um, what brand of cigarette they're smoking. And later on, I'll talk a little bit about a, um, just briefly about a program that uses brand switching to basically taper people mm. down to a lower nicotine dose and then eventually off of it. But uh, we'll hmm. get into that. You want to get into the, what, do you have anything else for the five A's? Um, no, well, I was just thinking too, is there any references out there? that you've seen or any of y'all have seen um, where it, comp- it actually lists out the brands and yeah. concentration. Yeah, right here. You got it right there. Oh, oh. yeah. So yeah, like, uh, it's like Newport's, Newport's Blues, Camel, generally speaking, those are all going to be 1.2 to 1.8 milligrams. Hmm. Uh, Marlboro Red, Virginia Slims, just examples would be like one milligram. And then if you went down to the lowest, Carlton Kings, now Kings, Carlton 100s, 0.2 milligrams of nicotine or less. So. Hmm. It is out there. What about the like American spirits that people like, you know, hipsters who don't want filters on their cigarettes? Is it listed in there? Um, I I did hear. Because I see that one advertised more than some others now in like magazines and stuff. Not that I can. Not, s- not hugely important, but. Not that I can see. I did hear about, um, I did hear discussion about what happens when you take off the, the filter. And I think it does increase like the nicotine per puff, but oh. I'm not exactly sure how much. Yeah. I think, and another thing we need to address is. Blake, why are you still reading magazines? <laughs> That's I just huge gonna, issue. Why am I denied modern technology? Okay. Was you, it an online magazine? No, I guarantee oh, it was a hard copy, wasn't it? <laughs> Look at them. It was a hard copy. You know, sometimes you get these deals for free magazines. I'm you telling just, you. <laughs> but Blake's, Blake's bringing it back. He's bringing a lot of things back. But it's good. That's funny. We, we like having him around anyway, even though he's old school. Yeah, we keep him around. He also knows how to do stuff with cameras. So. He does know how to stuff. It takes us forever. <laughs> Give him a 20 and he'll do whatever he wants. Yeah, especially headshots. Bad news, we lost one already. Um, Did we? Yeah. Down to two. Well, at least mine's still working. That's yeah. fine. It, nobody needs to see my face. Yeah, so yeah. Just, <laughs> no it's a good, my, That's a good point. It's beardless. So, it's well, oh, Nobody wants to see yeah. that. It's no starting way. to come back. Yeah, well, I've got to shave tonight, so. Mm. i got to work tomorrow. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Not me. <laughs> Congratulations. We have a firm keep your beard policy. <laughs> Oh, geez. Okay, sorry. The people who are like, they're actually staying on task, and now are disappointed and turning us off. <laughs> totally off the Sorry. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Blake. <laughs> All right, where were we at? So um, I guess let's uh, let's talk real quick, I guess, why cigarettes are, are bad in the first place. So we talked about you know the withdrawal symptoms becoming worse over time. Right. Um, but the thing we always think about is, you know, increasing the chances of, of lung disease and, uh, you know, COPD or and potentially lung cancer, but the other thing that we we kind of tend to not think about as much, I think, is the cardiovascular risks mm-hmm. uh, with cigarettes, which we do if we're talking about statins and we're actually right. using the tool. Uh, however, when we're just talking about, it, we always resort to lung lung cancer. cancer. That's the lungs uh, is the first thing you think of, yeah. right? And and you know, obviously it's a, a huge deal, but um, they do it does play a really 
big role in the development of atherosclerosis and um, especially if somebody has peripheral arterial disease already um, poor tissue perfusion and cigarettes can definitely add to that and cause some serious issue now it's very important to point out so lung cancer speaking of lung cancer Mm -hmm. increases your risk by about 25 times if that's just a general smoker one pack per day increases your risk of coronary heart disease by two to four times increases your risk of stroke by two to four times so why is that important? Because you'll get the e-cig argument a lot. So can mm-hmm. we just do e-cigs and it's 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 better? Uh, I mean, it's you know a little more undetermined. Um, That's the problem. We don't know. The consensus is to not recommend it, but they have done studies, uh, and ultimately you're getting a, generally a lot more nicotine in the e-cigs than you are from an actual cigarette. And the nicotine is um, one of the major factors that increases your risk of heart issues. So if we were to say, yeah, switch to e-cigs instead of cigarettes, you know, we're not doing them ultimately a service because we're still, they're still getting those large doses of nicotine. Um, They would still have withdrawal side effects and it's still increasing the risk for heart events. So that's e-cigs. Probably get some flack for that one. That's all right. I mean... It's not we're, not, we're not hating on people who are no, using them. Not hating so. on people for using them. But now, they still now can if be you dangerous. wear like a necklace, that's a different story. <laughs> I'm not that's a, fa- a fashion I, choice. I am not a fan of that. Speaking of e cigs, yeah. um, I've actually like seen someone recently, um, they actually used the new vaping stuff yeah. to gradually wean themselves off the nicotine. I've seen that before, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I mean, if we can recommend tapering down on cigarettes to get them off, then I don't think it's a completely unreasonable strategy, but. Uh, I think that just is kind of patient specific, you know. And I've seen, I have seen some studies that report like significantly lower uh, results and of actually coming off of cigarettes using e-cigs compared to other methods. But then I'll see other studies that report better. I think it just right. depends on how they set it up. And I don't think there's a lot of super great data. It's very, data and out and there. I think ultimately the point is we can't say e-cigs are safe. We just can't. Right. It's, it, we can't say. Well, that. they have a lot more chemicals than. Yeah. Even regular cigarette does, yeah, and I'm, plus, you there's no because it's vapor. They just sit there and puff on it. All the kid next to me in the movies the other night, I know, just all night, just puffing so them in my ear. They're able to get so much more in and out. Mm-hmm. They're getting a lot more nicotine. So yep. it, you're kind of it's a trade off. You're getting rid of the tar and the carcinogens, and you're substituting immense amounts of nicotine. So one of those things. One of those things. Like we'll we'll know in 50 years whether it's bad or not. They'll figure it out. Kind of like um all these. Well, anyways, we'll get on that. Moving on. So the five A's. You want to go through those? Yeah, we can go through that. So th- this is kind of what they've come up with for techniques, in o- in office techniques of how to address smoking cessation with patients in the best way. It incorporates motivational interviewing and incorporates um, theoretical models of change. Uh, but it's ultimately, it's pretty simple. Ask, advise, assess, assist, and arrange, right? Right. So ask. So you got to ask them, are they interested in quitting, right? Right. Just bring it up to them. And yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, like accusatory or anything right. like that. Just ask them, hey, are, are you still smoking? We have to just update your charts. And then have you ever thought about quitting? Just, you know, it can be very nonchalant. Just ask right. them and see how they respond. If they're super, you know, defensive and aggressive immediately because they don't want to even approach the subject, then don't don't push it. And right build that rapport with them and build the trust and hopefully you can talk to them later on. Right. And not just you as a clinician, but you can basically implement office-wide systems to make sure that every patient who comes through is at least asked about smoking and then um, afterwards asked if they're interested in quitting. Yeah. I think one of the worst, when you're talking to someone is for, let's say you ask them and they say, yeah, I do, but you know, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to, um, you know, I, I can't get myself to actually do that. I, th- I think the big thing that we want to refrain from saying um, is all you have to do is Quit. blank. Yeah. You know, whatever it may be. All you have to do is just find something else to take its spot. All you right. have to do, because it's really easy to say all you have to do, but right. you don't, you know, you may not know what else is going on in that person's life or why they are doing this. But, you know, to. To say that all you have to do something is implying that you know, you know, and, and in my mind, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a psychiatrist, I haven't done or a psychologist, <laughs> but I feel like that's implying, you know, it's it's an easy process. Well, right. if it's the hardest thing they've ever done, 
Well, they're like, well, you know, geez, right. man. Because it, it's definitely, there's a line to play because you don't want to make it sound like a huge, big, huge chore or you think that you're pushing them away from doing it. So, so I, I think I tend toward, tend towards that with medications a lot. I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. You just do this once a day. Mm-hmm. It's really easy, you know. And so if, if you're trying to get somebody to quit, oh, yeah, you know, no big deal. It's really yeah. easy. But I think it is important for them to know up front, like, this is going to be a process. Right, right. It's probably not going to work the first time. It's going to take multiple times. You just got to persevere you know yeah all you got to do is persevere but you got to persevere right yeah. and, and and i guess you like like you're saying i think it just depends on the rapport you have with the person yeah yeah because everybody reads it differently yeah um but i've just I, i've seen people get very upset when you act like you know all you have to do is just is it's so easy right like, well maybe it's not maybe it's easy for every person else except for that person right um you just got to keep that in mind right especially um you know then you start throwing in other you know mental illness in there and it's a, a lot of layers to pull back before right. you just make it act like it's a simple solution right for sure so yeah ask so ask it and, and like i said that's more for just determining whether they smoke or not so then you're going to advise them so if they do smoke okay we're going to strongly urge you to quit that doesn't have to be the words you use but you want to strongly urge them to quit be clear be strong and uh, make it personalized you got to know the patient um or you know even if it's a new patient um, use things that have worked for you in the past and impart on them some knowledge. Let them know that, you know, as your clinician, I want you to know that this might be the most important thing you can do to protect your health now and in the future is quitting smoking. Um, and, you know, use some motivational interviewing skills there. Yeah. I think one of the best like kind of attributes of motivational interviewing is if you're having a conversation with the patient, I always establish, like, what their goal is. Like, why are you spending your time meeting with me when you could be doing something else that's clearly more fun, uh, you know, whether that's their family or they want to make, uh, you know, make it to where they can run a, a you know, a half marathon one day. It's just been their life school, though. Whatever it may be, it could be anything, whatever that's their goal in life or their thing they've set for themselves. Um, you kind of come back to that when they right. start talking about, you know, well, quitting, I don't know. You said, well, you know, you did tell me that that's your goal. Um, do you think that if you were to, kind of go down this route you know this route of trying to quit you think you'd be able to get to your goal easily and just kind of keep bringing it back to that they keep thinking about their own goal they've set right. especially if it's something they're passionate like truly passionate about i think that's the best way i've, I've seen people kind of bring it back full circle like right. that and it's really effective to kind of keep it keep them on track thinking in the right way yeah you got to tie it back to something personal so i mean you can't just say well smoking's bad for you so you right. should quit because everybody knows that mm-hmm. but tie it back to a current illness or health issue that they have or some type of social or economic woe i mean cigarettes are expensive right and quitting's not exactly cheap but once you've quit it, mm-hmm. it, it's helpful long term um and you know talk about the impact of tobacco on their children and their families secondhand smoke is a real thing so yeah tie it back to something personal yeah and and again, kind of going back one more time, like I think when we do say things, you know, um, where we were like you just said, um, we, we basically tying it back like with your children or whatever it is, but but making sure that it's not any sort of uh, negative yeah um, like you're repeating back just to what they told you i think that's i was trying to think of how to word that but it's i feel like there's, there's such a there's such a fine line and people who are very good at that and they're, they're actually being passionately um trying to talk back and like and they're just kind of like repeating back and not right. putting words in the person's mouth or painting kind of a threatening picture i think is really important for a lot of people right so, so yeah like you said earlier not an accusatory tone right. a compassionate tone like yeah you know, you're talking about your kids and everything, mm-hmm. you know, this can't affect them yeah. and we want to make sure they're safe and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Makes, it just makes such a difference when you come at it like that, I think. And, you know, that's not, not an easy skill to to learn. Yeah, it takes a little clever. You got to be clever, mm-hmm. you know, got to word things the right way, I yeah. suppose. Well, I think you got to really care too. Like if, yeah, if you, you don't, act. then I don't think right. I mean, it's not going to work. It's a lot easier if you actually care. If you actually care, I think it, you know, the person eventually will feel that and then, you you know, it could be real about it. It's if you're trying to be all fake and people can see that. They, yeah. know, they don't, you know, fool anybody. Nope. They're not dumb. Yeah. All right. So where do you want to go? We talked about where we, were we with the A's. We've asked, we've advised, now we want to assess. So, you know, assess their willingness to quit. Sometimes people ask them on a scale from one to 10. There's plenty of ways to do it. Um, I think a lot of times an easy cop out is if they say, no, I don't want to quit. Then we'll say, okay, well, we have resources that are available to help you. 
um, if you ever want to and that's okay but you know if especially if you have the time i think every once in a while it's important to you know try to make an argument towards quitting and see if you can use motivational interviewing skills like we just talked about to even if they say no to try to convince them would they consider it you mm-hmm. know so and if they do consider it then we're going to or actually assist them yep whether it's you know coming or uh, you know coming in and supporting them from a community standpoint like if we bring other members of the family in maybe um you know supportive um you know behavioral support whether we give them ideas to you know maybe go to a different part of the house in the morning instead of where they've routinely gone and smoked their first cigarette um whatever it may be and then also maybe uh, you know pharmacological assistance as mm-hmm. well um giving them some options that can hopefully uh, curve the symptoms of withdrawal and help them get off the, you know, the the cigarettes quicker than they would be if they're just trying to cold, cut it cold turkey. Right. Yeah. So that's assessing. Then you want a system, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, in other ways, so if they say they really do want to quit, then you want to provide them with a quit date. So that's kind of the first yeah. goal to set. They generally say it's ideally within the next two weeks, um, and. At that point, if you're using this strategy, then that's when the cigarettes would stop completely. Um, and so after that, uh, you want to provide practical counseling towards problem solving and training. Um, talk to them about abstinence. Talk to them about how even one puff or one cigarette can cause a complete relapse. Um, and ask them about past quit experiences. Most of the time, this is not going to be the person's first time right. attempting to quit. And it takes multiple attempts what they say the average is like seven this is something people have thrown around attempts to quit before somebody will actually stop so you know you got to look into all that and something they say frequently is oh i've tried everything mm. right so they they may have tried the the three the nicotine replacement the bupropion and the verinoclin um, doesn't mean you can't retry something um, and kind of spin it in a different way ultimately you just want them to to attempt and uh, make a valid attempt because that will increase their chances of um quitting down the road and sometimes you know it can be something as simple as i saw a gentleman one time who he just always had a cigarette in his hand driving home from work he just had it between his two fingers kind of arm out the window relax that was his time to kind of just like mellow out and get his thoughts together before going home after you know a hard day at work and so the thing that worked for him was cutting straws and the sheet and like the length of a cigarette and just holding it there and just that alone, which sounds so simple, but for whatever reason, it was for him, and it just worked. Right. He was able to quit him. So yeah. you just never know. It can be something so simple that maybe just, you know, somebody hasn't thought of yet. Yeah, and there's all sorts of behavioral, because that, that goes towards the behavioral mm-hmm. sides. So we'll talk after the five A's about, you know, it's physiologic and it's mm-hmm. behavioral, and that, that goes towards treating that portion of it. Uh, but along with setting a quit date, have them tell friends and family mm-hmm. that they're quitting. They can help hold them accountable. Um, and if their friends and family smoke... That obviously makes it more difficult. Um, talk to them about, you know, maybe everybody's going to try to quit at once and it can be a, a family thing. Or if they're not going to, avoiding when they are smoking because it'll, you know, tempt you to, yeah. to relapse. And provide them with materials. So there's all sorts of resources. There's websites, there's apps, um, there's paper resources, there's phone lines you can call. Um, they are They have done studies to see if one is better than the other and whatnot, it seems like it just depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an easy one that a lot of people have heard of is 1-800-QUIT-NOW, the telephone helpline. They can call anytime for basically a counselor to talk to them. And I think they may even provide, I know that there's a program that provides like first time free mm-hmm. nicotine replacement, right? Yeah, I think they give them a couple weeks free. Give them a couple weeks like free, something like that. Yeah, so something you can try if it's their first time quitting. Yeah. No, that's definitely, I mean, a great option, especially if it's somebody that can't afford Right. nicotine replacement that's i mean it's perfect get right. them started show them that there's hope and then because yeah. it's not cheap it but if you can ultimately if you can convince them okay in this time period the money that you're going to save by not smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. is probably going to is going to subsidize your your quit attempt right um but you will at, probably ask that they throw away all their cigarettes get rid mm-hmm. of them just get them get them out of the way and um that might help too yeah so, do you want to talk about uh, the um, Fagerstrom test? Yeah, we can do that. But before that, I guess we should say the last A is a range. So have oh, them yeah. have them follow up with you. 
they, depending on what you started them on, you probably started on something pharmacologic, mm-hmm. probably in the first couple weeks, week to at least by phone in the first week, just to make it sure everything's going well. Maybe see them in the next couple weeks, and then you know every couple to three months after that yeah. to make sure that um, you know just be a support system and you know hold them accountable. I guess. I think there, there's a lot of. Uh like clinic offices, like, you know, um, primary care docs, things like that, that have um, smoking cessation classes yeah. that their patients can go to for free and kind of get some yeah. advice and some assistance and all that. There's a lot of opportunities now. And they have looked at group therapy versus placebo, and group therapy was more effective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Got some teammates to keep you accountable. There you go. That's the way to do it. I actually spent a day at uh, when I was working at the VA at their smoking cessation clinic, and that's kind of what it was. They had an NP in there and a psychologist hmm. and they were there for like four or five hours in the morning to the early afternoon and they had classes uh, set up for either people who were just um who were thinking about quitting they had another class for people who were in the beginning stages people who had been absent for a while so you could kind of relate to um people in your stage of yeah. quitting and they just provided them with counseling and chatted with them it's pretty good it's cool yeah what do you think, guys? Anything else you want to add before we keep going? Um, I just know for in particular, um, I've seen, never heard of a lot of success having like a calendar laid out for patients as well. This is when you're going to start limiting. This is when you're going to start. Um, this is when you're going to increase the dose and like specifically circling this is your quit date. Also having a ranged follow-up date. Yeah. Um, providing any type of like counseling resources for you to refer back to the clinic for like sure any breakthrough. Isn't there something, isn't there something too like um, I feel like I've heard of this I can't remember if it was related to smoking cessation though but isn't there something too where if you come up with some sort of a, like a reward system like if I you know don't they, have a cigarette by this date I'm gonna reward myself by blank so I, that I would really make sense like weight loss so they they actually did study um, fin- monetary rewards that's right and it and it did of. increase quit rates yeah up to 800 right. up to 800 dollars if yeah. you if you sustained for a certain amount of months or that's years or something what i was thinking about and it helps yeah, yeah. So, it turns out you just pay people yeah you just pay them to quit and they'll that's do hilarious it. who paid that bill I, right exactly well, well wasn't it, i, I wanted, wasn't it musc that did that they may i, have I heard it at the done uh, something like that i didn't see it through musc but I, I saw it i can't i'd have to pull the the study to see but the evidence-based medicine conference that i went to they they talked about that really yeah because i i was it was in the back of my brain somewhere. And as soon yeah. as you said the money, I was like, that's what it was. Yeah. They paid them cash to quit. And people were like, all right, well, it was, <laughs> <turns> <laughs> sounds out good to me. Turns out it's way easier than it was, right. was before taking Veronica <laughs> So yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all you gotta do. If you got someone, just give them cash. It's going to increase their chances. Maybe, you know, unless that data is just not great. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Worth a shot. Yeah. You know? I would, yeah. I could imagine. I, I mean, would I would think it would be something that you could potentially write a grant for and, and do that. If they're going to give, people you know the money to be able to, to basically give them nicotine replacement right just give them some cash see what give them happens. some cash and Maybe i mean that was the last thing they need to get back on their feet and now they're ready to rock and if that works you may be able to kind of you know spin their savings as an income or, or a monetary mm-hmm. reward basically so yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you can get them to look at it that way then that might even mm-hmm. help too so. introduce them some stock options there you go boom yeah <laughs> Put put the money right back in the tobacco right industry. Back. You got to <laughs> invest. You, what you're gonna want to do is invest in Campbell. <laughs> right. Get get some money back from them. Oh man. Jeez. I, I'm shocked though that like, that's and this is like totally random, but just the fact that that's a like a that we're still that we know for a fact that it causes all these horrible problems, and, we're, and the company's like, no, we're fine. Yeah. We're good. Well, it, it, it baffles me that I can still remember in the last, I mean, less than 10 years ago when pharmacies just had the, you know, cigarettes right there. Well, big, big box pharmacies just I, had them right some there. some of them that still do. Well, a lot of grocery stores still do because they just, you know, they carry the, um, oh, so some of just like the standalone pharmacies still sell cigarettes. Mm-hmm. That fascinates me. I That's mean, fascinating. yeah. Let it be known that Roach Pharmacy does not. There you go. <laughs> Got to plug That's that. That's good. So this is a good time to take a break and tell you that this podcast is brought to you <laughs> by Roach Pharmacy, as well as... Uh, Roach Photography as well, Blake. Roach Photography. Uh, we got we got the yeah. well, we got the ads up there. So also he, uh, Albert Einstein not footing the bill on the on the payment for wait. stopping smoking though. 
Yeah, no. I know. Hate to break the news. Just a bill for me to do that shout-out, right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> did we not talk about that? Yeah, we, did. we didn't. Uh, not no. a contract. We didn't sign anything. Seriously, though, if you guys are in Charleston area and you need headshots done, Blake's like a phenomenal photographer. He did just increase his prices, which is fine um, because he's worth it. And we're trying to get him some... Uh, some business, so you know, I could kind of use I could use some headshots. I know, I when you say headshots, that sounds like I'm like an actor or something. But are I could, you not? I mean, basically, what I'm, do we do on here? I'm a male model, basically. I mean, we're definitely acting like we know what we're talking about. That's a good point. <laughs> no, I think I mean really the only time I can think of when I would need them is for LinkedIn. I was going to say literally. I was told that that's what I need on LinkedIn. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, my, my, my LinkedIn uh, profile pic is subpar. I'd pay you know mm. whatever. Yeah, because everybody has the one they took the very first year. Yeah. Well, some, that's some not even, even what I use. I just took something. I took one. Yeah. <laughs> I need something some, better. Some even CVs. People will put their pictures on their CV. Oh, really? Yeah. So. I also like on, on the back, like a glamour shot, taking up the yeah. full page. I have no idea. That's, <laughs> that's what that's people tell I me when do. I take them. I so. spray mine with Kenneth Cole Black. They're <laughs> <laughs> bold, whatever it's called. <laughs> that way people know what I'm about. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. I don't do that. Um, Would be a good idea, though. Yeah. But if you do need a professional picture done, let us know. We'll hook you up with Blake because he's good. And uh, we want you to look good on LinkedIn and not get passed up for a job because you yeah. didn't call Blake. Yeah. And regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Anyways, back to smoking. <laughs> Where were we? So you want to go through some uh, pharmacotherapy and within that we can talk a little bit about the behavioral side of things. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, so like we were saying earlier, there's two uh, facets, I guess, to smoking. And you can tell the patients this. Uh, one is the physical addiction to the nicotine, and two is the behavioral, because it really becomes an integral part of people's lives. When they've been smoking for 20, 30, 40 years, very consistently, they're having to wake up, and a lot of times within the first 30 minutes or less of their day, they're thinking about, okay, I need to have a cigarette. When they're at work, they have to take breaks to uh, smoke cigarettes. I mean, it, it's it's really a part of their routine in their day. Maybe when they drink their coffee, they're having a cigarette, or when they're driving like mike said they're having a cigarette so addressing those is really to me probably the more important aspect because we can give we'll give them drugs to subdue the cravings and the withdrawal symptoms but really what they're going to have to fight against is the uh, is the psychological portion of it yeah absolutely i mean especially like you said the routine i, yeah. I mean it's hard for me to break routine with anything yeah let alone something that's already addictive right so that's it's tough right so as far as drugs go uh, really first line kind of what you're thinking is combination nicotine replacement therapy mm-hmm. um I, it almost it reminds me of insulin every time i look into this because it's got like the long acting patch mm-hmm. it's kind of like your basal insulin and then you have like the breakthrough gum or lozenges or whatever which is kind of like your bolus it doesn't not the, the the um the metaphor breaks down if you look too far into it but generally i like to think of it kind of on his face like uh yeah. like insulin you don't want to look really too far yeah. at all not really because, even the second layer it's yeah. kind of like a, 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 a over layer surface layer yeah, yeah. <laughs> i hear you no um i think the other thing too is um considering how much the patient smokes to begin with yeah if you have a patient that comes in and they smoke like four cigarettes a day you probably don't need to start them on the 21 milligram patch right you may make the problem they may, you may make them feel worse right by giving them that much nicotine right so there's 21 14 and 7 milligram right. Um, patches and the taper schedule is kind of related to the initial dose. Mm-hmm. I think I think the actual like package insert or guidelines or whatever will will say if they're smoking less than ten cigarettes, then you can start at fourteen instead of twenty one. Yeah, um, less than ten. Yep. But if you, I mean, if you take on average, and I know that's not always the case, but you take on average, uh, you know, a pack of cigarettes is twenty cigarettes with one milligram each. You got twenty milligrams. You're thinking. That's one pack a day. That's the 21 milligram patch, essentially. Right. Um, and so it makes sense. But if you're only half a pack a day, maybe you don't need the full you know, 21 right. milligrams. And so. you can definitely assess previous quit attempts. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so you tried to quit before. What was the biggest issue for you? Was it the cravings and the withdrawal side effects? Or was it the routine portion of it? Like I was talking to a fella uh, about a month ago where it was more of a traumatic, stressful event that got him to, to start smoking again. And so to me, that's more of a psychological routine type thing than it was um because after eight months the the um, withdrawal side effects and the cravings are gone so mm-hmm. it, you know focus on that but yeah so greater than 10 cigarettes a day consider the 21 milligrams less than 10 consider 14 and then it tapers over time to the seven milligrams with the goal to get them completely off of nicotine 
And it's important that patients know there is the taper um, because, yeah. you know, if you start them off at the 21 and they just never go down, you know, they keep keep trying to get a prescription for that or whatever. Um, you know, it's not going to work. You never get off. You just kind of stay on that, that right. dose. So. Right. So good counseling there is important. Um, they do one patch a day, so it's not like a seven day patch or anything. And they may actually start the patch before the quit date, kind of depending on how you you want to play that. Uh, but they really ultimately shouldn't be smoking while they're getting the, the, the nicotine replacement because then they're going to get too much nicotine that can make them sick. Same with the gum. If you're chewing the gum or using the lozenge and you're smoking, they're probably going to get sick to their stomach. So um, counsel them. If you are having a relapse, go ahead and, and stop the, the nicotine replacement therapy in most situations. Yep. Also something to remember to counsel patients on is also limiting their caffeine consumption. Yeah. Um, as they're tapering down as well. So. Yeah. Both stimulants. That would be hard. Yeah. You like caffeine? I do like, I enjoy a good cup of caffeine. Good cup of caffeine. Good cup of monster in the morning. How dare you? A good steeping cup of monster. <laughs> they sponsored the podcast. <laughs> That's a lie. But yeah, as far as adverse effects with the patch, um, skin irritation, people will also have some trouble sleeping and potentially vivid dreams, which will come up a little later on with one of the medications as well. Mm-hmm. But they provide a very steady nicotine level. Uh, and really, it's probably the easiest one to use. The gum, the lozenge, there's even an inhaler or nasal spray. A little more involved as to, um, you know, counseling and, and how to use those. And you mentioned it earlier too, but if they're having, if they're on the patch, let's say they're on the full 21 milligram patch, and they're still having some cravings, that's when you would go and add in the gum, um, maybe the lozenge, something like that, um, to, to fight that craving without having to like double up a patch or... Usually, I've never seen anywhere this is, you know, to go above the 21 milligrams. Right. No, I haven't seen that either. So. And um, like I said, sleeping, trouble sleeping can be an issue. So if they want to remove it before bed, just let them know that it might take 30 minutes to a few hours um, to reach effective levels to quell the cravings when they reapply the next morning. Quell. Good word. Quell. Solid word. I don't even know if I used it right. Uh, sounds good to me. We'll probably find out. Yeah. Um. The the other thing is um, looking at the actual dose of the gum. Yeah. Because it comes in multiple strengths right. as well. So making sure you're not going too hard with the, with right. the gum. So there's two milligrams and four milligrams, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they recommend they have recommendations on that based on cigarettes per day. So less than 25, which is basically one pack per day, you'll go with the two milligrams. Um, a little over one pack or anything more, you, can, you could probably go with the four milligrams. And they can do one every hour if they need to, up to 24 a day. Um, and they probably want to avoid food or drinking 30 minutes before um, and during use. And I think a big counseling point on the gum is how to chew it, mm-hmm. how to use it, right? So you want to chew it. You'll kind of feel a tingling, minty-like sensation in your tongue, and then you want to park it. So you're basically absorbing it uh, buccally, yeah. if that's the word, mm-hmm. uh, partially. And then they also got some when they were initially chewing it. They got a good amount of uh, nicotine there. Yeah, so um, like you said, chew, chew until it tingles. Chew until it tingles. And then um, I've actually, have you ever tasted it just to say? No. Like what it says? I haven't either. I'm actually kind of curious just yeah. to see what that feeling is, if it's like that obvious. Or... Probably describe it a little better. Yeah. We should try like one piece. It's probably disgusting. I've never. Well, one of the issues is unpleasant taste. So yeah, yeah it probably doesn't taste all that great. Hail Some people bit. like it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of. It's still on the market. It is there. Years, so. so they work it. Some people hate cheap. the gum. Some people like the gum. Um, the lozenges are nice because you can kind of, you can actually cut them. You could taper yourself off of a lozenge cause you yeah. can cut them in half, you can cut them in quarters. Um, and they're pretty easy to, to carry around, but a lot of people don't like the taste of the lozenges either. Mm. But similarly, they come in two milligrams and four milligram yeah. tablets. And then, uh, you mentioned the inhaler too, which yeah. I, I don't see that one too often. I've never seen it. Um, but I mean, if that's. What you prefer. That's what they want to do. Go for it. And knit the nasal spray as well, you mentioned. Um, also, don't really see too much of that one Never either. seen that one either. It's usually always the gum in the patch. Yeah. But um, All right. So if we weren't going to do nicotine, um, we can also uh, use a medication you're probably pretty familiar with. Uh, that's bupropion. Yeah. Um, there is technically a different brand name for right. smoking. Um you know, they're not interchangeable. Some people still will and, and use them off-label, so to speak. Um, but the big thing is remember that if you're going to use bupropion, and especially if you're going to switch it to one of the ones that's 
you know, not the, yeah, what's the brand? Zyban? Zyban. Zyban. Yeah. So Zyban um, is for smoking. It's actually approved for smoking. That's the bupropion SR, and then there's mm-hmm. bupropion XL. That's Wolbutrin. Yeah. And there is another bupropion SR that's not equivalent to Zyban, but it's oh, is still, it really? yeah. Um, and it's still 12 hour though. Gotcha. So they won't link in like a pharmacy's computer, um, but it's still 12 hour. The, the key is to make sure you're not using Wolbutrin because Wolbutrin being 24 hours, you may not get the full... You know, effect for that whole time right. and you want to make sure you're getting another dose um, sooner than later right it's kind of uh, what I've seen works better um, and the, the weird thing about the bupropion is a lot of people and I've talked to someone in my family who actually described this they said that it made the cigarettes taste like an ashtray yeah they make them taste bad they did like a, I, I I don't, they didn't like the bupropion because it made the cigarettes taste so right. bad. Because they're not getting that physiological reward for it. Mm-hmm. And so they're just tasting it, which ultimately probably doesn't taste all that great. Right. And they're just like, yeah, this is no good. Because bupropion acts on norepinephrine and dopamine. Mm-hmm. So it's really hitting um, the dopamine response. And they're not exactly sure how it works in smoking cessation. All they know is it ultimately decreases your cravings some, decreases the pleasure you get out of it some, and also blunts some of the post-cessation weight gain that you're going to get. Um, because bupropion's weight neutral and may even cause a little bit of weight loss. And after you stop smoking, you're probably going to gain a little weight, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So then you can go to a nutrition or a dietitian or something on top of smoking right. cessation. Hopefully get some... Which is just going to make it harder to quit. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, one big counseling point, if the patient has a history of seizures, no bupropion. Mm-hmm. Contraindicated with a history of seizures. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. Um... You want to move on to veroniclin? Yeah. And veroniclin, ultimately, I might consider over bupropion, just looking at some of the data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more equivalent with the nicotine replacement therapy, but um, you know, you'll probably go through multiple things before you, you figure out what's going to work for a patient. Yeah. So it is a, um, just hopefully I said this right, it's a, it is a um, partial agonist antagonist. Yes. And so you are blocking the receptor as far as so that the nicotine itself isn't binding. Right. Um, but you're still binding a little bit. You're just not giving yourself quite the, the full effect of the binding of to that nicotinic receptor. And so you're getting a little bit of that positive feedback, um, taking away the craving, but you're not getting the full-on right. effect of the cigarette. So it helps relieve withdrawal and also blocks reward from smoking. I think I might have misspoke and said that same thing about propion. I don't know that it, it helps with the withdrawal all that much uh, well i think it's just because it's working in the pleasure center yeah that. i think it's the, that's the increasing the dopamine thing. levels yeah and both of these we should have mentioned you would start one to two weeks before the quit date a mm-hmm. little bit different than nicotine replacement therapy kind of get in your system get used right. to it see if there's any re- uh, adverse effects right and um one notable one about chantix which is veriniclin is abnormal dreams a lot of people report that and uh can be disconcerting to somebody you might want to avoid that and Somebody who has history of psychiatric issues, especially PTSD with, you know, nightmares, yeah. might not be the best. Now, they used to have a black box warning on Chantix where it would talk about all these different psychiatric side effects. Um, well, after the, the the data came out from the Eagles trial, yeah, um, I was gonna talk about they that removed uh, the box. You got you going to talk that, about that in detail? No, no, not about that specifically, but I did have a little bit on the Eagle trial. I, I jumped the gun. No, go ahead. Uh, no. No, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Is that I'm, it? I'm curious now. All right, the, uh, the Eagle trial was kind of where we get the, they actually looked at Verniclin versus Propion mm-hmm. versus the nicotine patch. So they didn't look at the combination nicotine replacement therapy, but they did look at the patch versus placebo and about 8,000 smokers. Uh, and each medication was more effective than placebo after about six months. But Verniclin did produce higher quit rates than Propion or the patch, um, which, with, which, with Propion and the patch having comparable efficacy. So, Eagle's trial favors veriniclin, but like I said, it didn't look at the combination NRT, nicotine replacement therapy, so we kind of look at both of those as, as being the first line. Um, and they've also done uh, studies recently, as a, as recently as, I think the last, this one was in um, April 9th in JAMA, Internal Medicine, 2018, um, looking at cardiovascular risk and safety of veriniclin, yep. bupropion and nicotine patch. Um because to, to assess whether or not they had increases in you know, cardiovascular risk. Right. It didn't look like it was all that all that worrisome. Right. So that's a, a special population you definitely want to consider, mm-hmm. for sure. And we mentioned seizures. 
um, hospitalized smokers, they're usually going to go with the nicotine replacement mm-hmm. therapy just because it works quicker uh, than doing varenicolinib or propion. But they might do that as you're going out, you know, if, if um, somebody's really gung-ho to quit. And propion may also be a good option if they have a history of depression and um, you're trying to augment that as well. Then you could go with the propion. It might help kill two birds with one stone. Yep. So. Yeah. What else? What else should we talk about, fellas? Anything we want to add to that? I had a little bit on, on the behavioral side. Let's talk about it. That's yeah. good. That's important. So, I mean, you got to talk about coping strategies with them because, like, we just we went over, really, that's it. As far as pharmacologic stuff, you've got those three medications is kind of what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are studying some other things, but um, right I'm now, sure. that's what we have. Uh, as far as behavioral therapies, you, it's there's a lot that goes into that. It's very patient-specific. See what issues they have and kind of address them. Um, some people use exercise as an outlet and a way to address, you know, the weight gain that you're going to have after you quit. Uh, some people implement non-smoking zones, especially with caregivers and family, um, to help the person um, quit. So maybe the home or the car to minimize the time that they have to spend with other smokers. You can talk about behavioral distractions, uh, engaging in, you know, simple activities like knitting or drawing or something like that. Um, that's going to keep their mind off smoking. Who mm-hmm. knows? I'm thinking of a lady, you know. I'm thinking you would do the knitting. I would do the, you? okay. Then read, I would do the knitting. That would get my mind off it for sure. Read magazines. Read magazines. Paper magazines. Paper. Like a, yeah, I can physically I touch. Can I'm physically looking for touch. tangible magazines. <laughs> and Velcro shoes. But yeah, for some people, just chewing gum in general, just mm-hmm. to keep their mouth busy, helps them. Or um, these, this is more if they start to have a craving, then they should really have some type of strategy in place to, okay, what do I do now? Because I need to get my mind off of it, and the craving will pass. Or drink a glass of water, have a snack, something like that. Um, and, you know, have them focus on the benefits of quitting. Um, you can use that ASCV calculator. Uh, if they have grandkids or kids that they want to be around for, have them focus on something like that. Use those strategies, stress management, relaxation strategies, whatever, to help with the um, withdrawal symptoms and the cravings and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever works, whatever helps. Yeah. Dude, and I mentioned the Fagerstrom test. Did you go into that in more detail? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that is a, a questionnaire that you can use to kind of figure out maybe where the, that person is in their, in their journey of quitting. And so it's the basically a series of six questions. Uh, it asks, how soon after you wake up do you smoke your first cigarette? And so it's anything from five minutes uh, up to 60 minutes. Um, and this is, uh, do you find it difficult to refrain from smoking in places where it is forbidden, uh, like church or the library or cinema? A <laughs> kid next to me yeah. smoking like crazy there in a vape pipe. She's trying to watch Ant-Man, <laughs> getting puffed with vapor. Um, I'm sure he was a nice guy. But the cigarette, uh, what cigarette would you hate to give up the most? Which is kind of an interesting question. Yeah, like your first or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it is, is the first one in the morning or all the others. Right. Um, and then how many cigarettes uh, per day do you smoke? Do you smoke more frequently during the first hours of waking than during the rest of the day? And then do you smoke if you are so ill that you are in bed most of the day? Uh, so obviously if the person is bedridden and you're still getting up to smoke, it's either really bad addiction or just strong dedication. Yeah. So crazy. Cool. I was interested. Um, you know, we're in this modern world where everybody has a phone and you see, even with talking about adherence with, to patients, you can tell them to set a reminder on their phone. So I wanted to see how many apps actually there were any good ones um just did a quick quick search of like the app store and there's actually a ton and a lot of them have five star ratings so that's um i mean this one has like seventeen thousand five star ratings and a lot of them have it looks like a uh you know you can track how long you've been smoke free this one even gives you badges so you know just a technological reward system people like playing games um so you know if you can if you can keep track of your life like a lot of these apps like my fitness pal so mm-hmm. just gives you a way um you know not to use paper to keep track but if it's on your phone it's, it's easily accessible they probably have some kind of support network through that where it's not such as in person you know such high pressure um i think that's a good option yeah no it's a great option because they have phone apps they have text messaging uh, where they'll send you motivational text throughout the day to encourage you to continue to quit group counseling, individual counseling, web resources, self-help books. Um, you know, also telephone 
all sorts of stuff. So, it, you know, just find what is accessible to the patient and what they think is going to work and just keep trying. You know those little CO2 detectors that you can um, blow on to see how, like, you know, much you've been smoking or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they may already have this. I uh, may be inventing something that already exists. But that'd be pretty cool if you could have, like, a miniature one of that that could plug into your phone and attach to your app so that you, you know, have to blow into it and then it registers back to the clinic that you're associated with. And, you know, if you have to do it at a certain point in the day, and then that dictates whether or not you get your 800 bucks. So no joke. Uh, when I was on my psych rotation at MUSC. We had grand rounds every week. And so one of the grand rounds was a presentation on a new smoking cessation app that they were to, they were working on. It was studying it at MUSC. And how can you address adherence with smokers other than taking their word for it, right? So one of the ways they would assess it was blowing into one of those things to basically prove that they hadn't smoked. Mm-hmm. And that was how they would, they would have you know, multiple stratifications. One was what they said, and then the other was based on the CO2 blows. And yeah, so cool. They so it already it. exists. I knew I wasn't smart to come out of my own. <laughs> so that's the end of that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, did it plug in? I mean, do they have it with them? At their uh, it plugged into some type of, what do they call it? They called it an ambulatory monitor hmm. of some sort. So I don't know cool. if it was specifically their phone, but they could download the data, I think. That's weird. That's and, awesome. And one of those apps I was just looking at, it it doesn't gauge through a, through a device like that, but it was, I guess it just uses kind of like population um, averages, you know, as far as when you stop smoking, you get the stroke reduction. I, I can't remember how long it takes and like the CO2 reduction eventually. Um, right. And this one was like showing you how long it takes. It's like keep track of your health returning to normal is mm. what it says. Um, MUSC has a nice poster that they use for that. Where they have like a this like hill that, that you're going up, and it's like at this point, you know, your lungs are starting to heal. You know, this part you're, you know, you can walk up a hill uh, and and breathe fairly normally. You know, whatever it is, I have to pull up and look at it. But uh, it was a really cool. They showed it at the that conference I went yeah. to, and they, they showed the the progression, and they have them, I guess, around the, the yeah. smoking cessation clinic. So if you can find a good graphic that you think will speak to the patient, use it. Yeah, I found theirs. Yeah, there you kidding. go. <laughs> I'm just kidding, MUSA, before I get sued. <laughs> but yeah, to finish up, um, I did want to talk a little bit. I, I mentioned it earlier, but um, it's the Quit Smart program, and this is what I encountered at the VA. And it's kind of different than what we talked about, the more standard quit strategies. So it's a brand-switching strategy, like I said, switch if depending on whatever uh, brand they use to go down until you go to a very low nicotine dose. And what the patients say is, is by the time they're down to those brands that they're only getting like 0.2 milligrams um, of nicotine per cigarette, it just tastes like ashes. It, it tastes like what it tastes like when they're using the medications. Um, so I just thought that was a pretty interesting thing. Not saying you have to do it, but if that you think that would work better for patients, because ultimately if they're not interested in quitting, but they are interested in cutting back, like that's not ideal, but it's something you can encourage. Um, and I did find in the book that they, if you can't find, you know, what the nicotine content of your specific brand is, they do go over some, um, uh, some guidelines. So if it's a non-filter brand, you should probably assume it's about 1.5 milligrams per cigarette. So that's where the non-filter comes in. Uh, if it's a filter brand, if it's a red or dark green, it's like 0.9 gold or light green 0.7 and silver is 0.4. So you can kind of gauge based on that. And then they also talk about, so a lot of times when people smoke, they also use smokeless tobacco, right? And so that's also going to increase their dependence on nicotine. So there are, I, I had never run into any quit strategy for tobacco before in my life, not smokeless tobacco. But um, what they recommend is basically taking um, your your little pot of snuff, right? And taking, you start out by taking like an eighth or something out and throwing it away and replacing it with cut up mint leaves and then mixing it around. So you're basically cutting the tobacco so they still get the the taste because like mm. if the tobacco is mint flavored, they still get the taste. They're just not getting as much nicotine. So over time, they slowly taper themselves off of the tobacco, taking out tobacco, replacing it with mint leaves mm. until they've more or less taken out all the tobacco and they're just sticking mint leaves in their lip, getting the taste, but they're not actually getting the nicotine and they can actually taper themselves mm. off of smokeless tobacco. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Also increasing your risk for... Um, tongue and mouth cancers and things yeah Ugh. yeah and they recommended you know you can buy a little mint leaf uh, a mint plant from the store and just cultivate your own save mm. money or if you just really like mints or you just like mint you can do that too toss it in with your uh, way less addictive spaghetti i'm sure i've never tried tea. it yeah i would think so yeah tea and my crumpets get my tea leaves and mints 
Is that I, don't what you I, I, I don't know. I don't That's know. What, I don't know where I was going. That's with what that. you think British people do. No, I didn't okay. use, did. I use the offensive accent. No, you accent? didn't. No, I just, sure didn't. I just assumed that's what, yeah, that's so what you're going for. You're actually the one. <laughs> okay. It's being nationalist or whatever <laughs> you, you call it. <laughs> nationalist. That's the word. Uh, that's probably the word they use. From what um, do you know anything about that particular like is is that guy like he's still active? I don't know the he... guy. He's definitely still active. I'm not sure when this thing came out. What's his name? I, um. Robert Shipley, Dr. Robert Shipley. I know it's about 30 bucks for the whole program. It comes with the book and um, the book itself is about 12 bucks, but then it, they also had like a workbook and they had like a CD with soothing sounds and stuff. I don't know. I think the book is, is solid. So I don't know about the other stuff. You know, you listen to that soothing sounds. <laughs> oh yeah. CD. Every, every night, night before I go to bed. <laughs> um, they have a, I just pulled up their website. They actually have a kit. Um, if you, for healthcare professionals, if you wanted to become like one of their, yeah, trainers or whatever um it's pretty interesting we should reach out to them sure that'd be cool yeah hear that quit smart come hang out with us yeah there you go I don't know come on the located. podcast we'll do a second smoke we'll do a smoking cessation follow-up how about that follow up follow up with the same meds <laughs> all right gentlemen anything else you want to add on this fine what day is it tuesday is afternoon it tuesday? yeah i think we touched on everything no, that was, that, was, that was a good one. This yeah, is an important an topic. Hour. It really is. A full hour of just having fun in this thing. There you go. Time flies. That's how we do it. Yep. We lost both cameras. I know. Okay. Mine's good. Mine's we still, got one going. Actually, I don't know if mine's good or not. <laughs> we can't be sure. Did you turn it on? I did. I hope. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to us blow on for over an hour. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, it would really, really help us out if um, you can share um, with you know some of your colleagues or if you're in the medical world or if you're a student show some of your classmates um, help us kind of spread it out a little bit um, that would definitely uh, help us tremendously and um, you know thank you guys so much for your time listening um, f- please leave a comment um, rating anything like that and we will see you guys on the next episode have a great one <laughs>